Fish, and farewell Tofino musical inspiration. We're live and informative, and basically, we're going to drop some knowledge on you tonight and bring you an acoustic delight. It's time to do a deep water think on the topic of fish farming. There seems to be little people have stronger feelings about in Tofino, so we're going to get into it. Speaking with a local activist heading to Norway to cause a stir and get Cermak Canada in the hot seat as we consider the future of food. But stick around, because we're going to douse you with fresh Tofino-focused music, courtesy of Kalyan Butawa, never before heard on the airwaves, or anywhere else for that matter. Plus, we'll plenty good tracks as we carry you into the night. This is the Frequency Horizon. First up, we got Mr. Oiseau, Hand in the Fire, featuring Charlie XCX.
Brian Eno with the big ship. How will we feed the world? It's a question that's come up quite a bit in Tofino in recent days. With the collapse of Canadian fisheries, the country turned to aquaculture, growing sea life such as fish and oysters to help sustain a global hunger for seafood. Many scientists and politicians point to the aquaculture industry as an important puzzle piece under the next wave of human innovation, something Canada could excel at. Since 1980s, the world has started eating twice as much fish, from around 100 to 200 million tons, American tons, and the vast majority of that increased appetite has been satisfied by the growth of ocean farming. While Asia accounts for 93 million tons, the lion's share of aquaculture output, Canada has seen an influx of Norwegian firms set up shop on the BC coast with hopes of growth. But the history of the industry so far hasn't been totally rosy, with the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans that seems to have a hard time switching between promotion and enforcement, the challenges of viral containment, sheer amount of dead fish, and the excrement you get huge numbers of animals are crammed together in one spot in the ocean, and questions about the impact on wild salmon, native groups, and environmental activists that have plenty of cause to worry. Dan Lewis and Bonnie Glanbeck, Tofino Aspect activists with the Clayquad Action Society, have headed to Norway to raise a stink about farm fish. And we thought we'd delve into the issue ourselves. What's at stake when we talk about developing aquaculture and developing fish farming within the Tofino region? What's at stake is, uh, is our wild salmon runs. And the reason why that is so important is that they are a keystone species. So the, the forests that grow here to such a tremendous and monumental age and size, that's all based on the nutrients that come back with the wild salmon when they go back up the creeks to spawn. And uh, without that, everything that we know about the ecosystem here um, would unravel. And as well, the, the coastal First Nations culture is based around those cedar trees and the wild salmon as well. And so culturally, uh, if those fish were to go completely extinct and the forest were to, uh, you know, to decline, that would significantly impact the First Nations culture. That's Bonnie Glombeck. She's a campaigns director with Clickwood Action. She's a history of fighting for forests, and now she wants the public's attention on fish farms. I've lived in the region for over 25 years, and I have seen a decline in the salmon just from my own experience uh, living here. And the industry plans on expanding fourfold by 2030 uh, on the BC coast, and they're also planning on doing that in Norway. So it's a global food industry, whether it's Mitsubishi or you know Marine Harvest, which is uh, owned and up, you know based in Norway. These are these are global food companies, which uh, their bottom line is to expand and to continue to bring in profits for their shareholders. So. Um, that's not necessarily in the best interest of local communities. We believe the, the main thing for Clackwood Sound and for the BC coast is to get the salmon uh, open net pen farms out of the ocean. I think that would go a long way to mitigating a lot of the impacts that they have. Uh, but that still leaves you with the problem of a net loss of protein. So. Um, where every, you know, for every pound of farmed salmon that you're producing to quote-unquote feed the world, uh, you are, you're taking three pounds of wild fish from the ocean. So these farms are, are polluting the ocean and they're also depleting the ocean. The chemicals that they use also um, affect prawns and crab and, uh, and shrimp as well. So, uh, and they can also impact clam beds. So they're actually um, probably destroying more seafood than they're producing. Concerns with fish farm expansion came to a head last fall when some members of the Ahousat First Nation pitched tents on a newly installed set of Cermak floating cages at a site called Yaxwis, part of a successful blockade. What's that? That's the original Cermak site with the cabins floating uh, houses. Of the wind from the ocean behind us and come right down this inlet. This is protected from it. 
southeasterly winds will come right down this channel and you get waves like three feet, four feet. It can get so rough here that I wouldn't want to be out here in this boat. What can only be called a, a, a site of native protest. There's a flag that's that's fluttering with that brilliant red and, and the uh, the Aboriginal face in the center. You know there isn't much activity, but certainly it's a scene of defiance, and it, one could even say a scene of pride. Certainly not for the fish farmers, but you know for the Aboriginal people, this is this is one strike that's going to resonate far and wide. And on a beautiful day like this today, there's little animosity, simply just people taking a stand and a company trying to move forward. In the end, the nets were moved away from Yaxwis and over to another site near Binns Island. I think it's brought hope to, uh, to people all around the world that we do have a chance of getting these farms out of the water and that we can restore a wild salmon economy. And I, I really think it's uh, it's a sign of things to come that uh, you know people are standing up for nature and the understanding that there's no jobs on a dead planet. You know that we need to protect the ecosystems and uh, you know and the local First Nations believe that uh, all things are one. That there's a that there's a circle of life and we're all part of that. And the salmon are part of that certainly, and the herring are. And so we all depend on that as human beings. Yaxuis was right across from the Atlio River, which is a, an important salmon river, and it's also an important area. There's a lot of clam beds and stuff as well. So the um, elected leadership and the hereditary leadership asked Saramac to move the farm, uh, and that they indicated that they didn't want to have a farm site uh, in that location. And so Saramac did move the farm, and they moved it um, up uh, Herbert Inlet, which is one of the big inlets here in Clapwood Sound. It's a pristine, uh, unlogged watershed, um, and they moved it to a to a site they already have there. And that site's been fallowed uh, or been left empty for many years since uh, since 2012 because it's a very poor site, uh, environmentally speaking. It it doesn't have very good flush, and so they've been leaving that site fallow. Uh, but because they weren't allowed to start production at York Suisse, which is where the occupation was, um, they towed the new pens in there and started production at that old site that wasn't very environmentally appropriate. I asked Bonnie if she thought the celebration by activists in the wake of protests was a bit premature given it just caused the company to move the nets to another less than ideal spot. But she pointed to the larger picture of you know, growth in the activism community and awareness. Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, change and, and uh, change in any, whether it's an environmental movement or a social movement is not, you know, a one-time event. It's actually a process. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. And, uh, you know, I just sort of look at that as a, a benchmark and a process of getting these farms out of the waters of Clapham Sound. Really, at the end of the day, um, you know, Hauser drew a line there, and uh, many, many people in British Columbia support them in drawing that line, and we do not want expansion of fish farms on the BC coast. Proposed and previous ceramic fish farms have highlighted some of the difficulties surrounding aquaculture development. There was another site applied for um, in Herbert Inlet uh, earlier in 2015, and Department of Fisheries and Oceans did not give Saramac their, their uh, did not approve the application because there's low flush in that area. So that whole Herbert Inlet area apparently is very, it, the currents aren't very strong, so it doesn't uh, move the waste, uh, the sewage and the waste away from the farm fast enough. In 2003, there was um, IHNV yes. infection. In 2004, there was the Aramona Salmacida infection. In 2008, there was another Aramona Salmacida infection. And in 2010, there was a, uh, a mycobacterial infection. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just from, from data that, that had come out through a court case. I'm just curious to know, like, with that kind of history, does it concern you about what might happen with the fish that they're growing in that region 
whether it's the exact same site or whether it's just nearby that Binns Island location. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this is a similar problem that they had in Miller Channel as well. Um, the IHN um, virus also had an outbreak in Miller Channel just two kilometers north of Yaxui's site. I think in general, um, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, some farm sites have the potential to uh, you know to have these outbreaks and this is one of the problems with having the fish in the ocean and it's in a lot of ways not even so much a problem of where the farm is sited as the idea that you're cramming too many fish together in close quarters and so these these bacteria and viral infections or parasites like sea lice they tend to explode in growth and mutate um, to be resistant to any treatments that humans might want to use on them. The farms also put a really large nutrient uh, load into the water through with nitrogen and phosphorus from the feed. And with the warming waters that we're having with climate change, I think this is exasperating the, uh, the algae blooms that we've been having. So you're going to Norway. This yes. must be pretty exciting. <laughs> What's the message that you're hoping to bring to the folks in Norway? And, and what are you hoping to accomplish by going over there? Well, the message we're taking to Norway is uh, that Norwegian-based salmon farms are damaging British Columbia's waters, they're polluting them and depleting uh, our wild stocks here. We're doing some public presentations, we'll be attending a major conference with cutting-edge information about wild salmon, uh, meeting with politicians, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's going to be a little bit of everything. We hope to connect with like-minded people over there, scientists and activists and politicians who who feel that uh, within their own country that the industry needs to go through a reform and to get out of the water and into closed containment. We want to connect with those people and let them know that they have allies over here in Canada, that we're having problems uh, of a similar nature. And we want to bring the story of Norway back to Canada because their industry is decades ahead of our industry um, in terms of what they're dealing with, with the problems of sea lice and various diseases. So I think that we can kind of see our history written there, right? So I think there can be some lessons learned for us to, uh, to bring that story home again. We're traveling with uh, an Indigenous delegate from Clackwood Sound here, Giselle Martin, and uh, we're going to be meeting with Indigenous Sami people in Norway, and I'm really looking forward to hearing their story and sharing, uh, sharing that experience as well. How much of a challenge is it to sort of, you know, want to convey, like, let's say the Aboriginal perspective from the region when, you know, they don't necessarily speak with one voice, you know, there's multiple or Aboriginal groups here, and even within each Aboriginal group, various band councils, whether it's elected or hereditary, may have different feelings about an industry that on the one hand provides great jobs for the community, but on the other hand, has some question marks around the health and safety of its practices. Well, I think it's really no different than the non-native community. You know, within the non-native community, the settler community, there's like a great divergence of uh, opinion, just as you're talking about within the native community. So I think it's valid and, and okay for First Nations people who have concerns about what's happening on their territories to speak their voice. I mean, that's what democracy is all about, right? Every, every human being on the planet has a right to speak about what they think is ethically or morally right. I've had experience as a, as a, a, a rainforest activist going to Japan and talking to uh, Japanese corporations that were buying wood from uh, international forest products that was logging here in Clackwood Sound and you know it seemed kind of um, outrageous for us to go over from a little village and to talk with a, a corporation like Mitsubishi. We actually met with Mitsubishi about their buying policies here in Clackwood Sound. And the result of our trip over there was that there was a five-year moratorium put on uh, logging in the Sydney Valley, which is now part of a major uh, swath of old-growth forests here in Clackwood Sound. And you never know uh, what some people from a little village like Tofino might accomplish. Aquaculture is a complex beast. Take the issue of what to feed the fish you're raising, for example. Well, it takes far less feed to raise fish than any other animals like, say, pork or beef, way less. Activists still bristle over the fact it requires more protein to fill the bellies of farm salmon than you actually get out of it. It's something Cermak has had to face head-on when reaching out to investors, and they claim they've gotten down to less than one pound of aquatic ingredients for every pound of fish produced. 
aquaculture is going to be a crucial part of feeding the world, and farmed salmon is one of the best choices of healthy protein. That's Laurie Jensen, Communications and Corporate Sustainability Manager for Cermac Canada. We know that fisheries have reached their maximum capacity, most fisheries, and there's little room left for agriculture to grow food, and it's intensive use of land to grow food. Salmon farming will be one of the most sustainable sources of protein that we can use to feed the world. We continue in the way we are. Wild won't be sustainable at all. We have to learn more efficient ways of producing our protein. It has to be farmed sustainably. We have to have clean oceans. Farming the oceans is going to be the way to go. And then of course there's the unavoidable economic impact. Too many of our coastal communities are losing their jobs, uh, the resources are shutting down, etc. Aquaculture is a good place uh, for people to be able to stay home, they can work close to their communities, it provides a lot of money um, in the region. For example, um, from both Cermac Canada and Cermac Processing, we spend over $12 million per year in the Alberni Clayqua area. That's a big impact for year-round jobs in a community where it relies on tourism. And I think that's important. What are some of the issues that CERMAC looks at when trying to balance the deep-seated desire for Aboriginal autonomy and traditional territories you hear people talk about while still providing those kind of good-paying jobs for community members and, of course, meeting the needs of your own investors? We have a really good, strong protocol agreement with Ahazit and we worked together to discuss what was needed there, and we worked on that together. Um, and, you know, these activists are trying to make this a perception issue that the relationship with Hausa was shattered, but in reality, this has made our partnership stronger than ever. Well, I think if you look at, as you brought up, the uh, the protest with the house with the fish farm there, that really wasn't a house it. That protest was led by Alexandra Morton and Clayquot Action, and they're both well-known industry activists. And there were very few house it people in attendance, and those that were there are professional protesters that live in the area. And we work together to solve issues, even if they're caused by outside influences. She means the Yaxus protests. There was a letter that came out uh, from Ahauzit about moving the cages, but you need to remember that Ahauzit uh, worked with CERMAC, and we had offered to move the cages right at the beginning because protesters were on an unsecured site and we were concerned about the safety. CERMAC values the relationship with Ahauzit, and we talked, and it was respect for them that we moved the cages. We were listening, and both groups were working to make sure that it was safe for the people. And the Ahauzit people stepped down. It was the militants, the professional activists that stayed on and those were the ones that actually caused the problem, not the Ahauzit. The farm blockade made really little difference to CERMAC operations and really we were concerned about the safety of people being on an unsecured site. It really had little impact on our operations. We just moved the cages to another site. The big impact was on the Ahauzit community because the loss of that site will mean loss of jobs and benefits that they would have received. It's better to sometimes stop production on one site for a few years and start it in another. Um, sometimes if all the sites are working well, you can uh, you move people around from site to site. The more sites you have, the more people you can have. And some of the benefits that a house it gets are based on the overall production. So by not having an increase in production or an increase in sites, that lowers your ability to have more jobs and to have more benefits. From my understanding, that uh, that bin site or somewhere near that site was previously where, just from my research, I was finding that there had been sort of previous d disease outbreaks. We're talking back to 2003 and four, you know, from the IHN virus and then the Salmoncita infection. And which site would have been better, in your opinion, to have that farm at? It's always better to have more flexibility and more sites in which to move the fish around. In agriculture, you like to let fields fallow before you put a new crop back in. And the more sites you have, or the more fields you have, the more flexibility you have. 
We have learned to manage things like IHN better. This is a sockeye disease. Uh, we did have an outbreak, I think it was 2012. And CIRMAC, because of the information that we learned in the past, we were able to manage that really quickly and fast, and it didn't spread to the whole sound. We're more of a mature industry, and we're learning on how to do things better. Since I was wondering about the delegation heading to Norway and Sir Max's thoughts about it, I thought I'd ask Lori directly. Well, this uh, sort of protest has been done before, and uh, our Norway office is well aware of the concerns the local activists plan to raise. Most people outside of the country know that the activists can only speak for themselves. They can't speak for the Aboriginal communities. Even if they're from the community, only the chief speaks for those. Norway is one of the biggest salmon farming areas in the world and next to oil aquaculture it's its biggest economy i'm sure they've heard from protesters before you know they prefer to use these publicity stunts to spread their message they couldn't they could try and engage in meaningful constructive dialogue with us here in tofino or campbell river they don't bother you know so they're trying to paint an image of cermak as some foreign invader that they have to go meet when in reality our employees are, 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 they are your friends, they're your neighbors, they're locals. We live here. Farming in the ocean is the best place for the fish and it's the best place for the environment. You use more carbon energy to pump salt water onto land-based facilities than you do any other. So the economics are just not there. And one of the things that we've started is a carbon and energy management program. And we track how much energy we use and how much greenhouse gases we emit. And we are looking at the costs of all aspects of our operations. And we know that farming in the ocean is more environmentally, economically, and socially sustainable than any other form of salmon farming. Our salmon create less waste than any other form of livestock production. And of course, hey, we're concerned about wild salmon here in Claycourt Sound. We, we've revised our annual sea lice monitoring program, which now we examine uh, wild salmon for sea lice loads in areas near and away from salmon. We work with the First Nations and other groups in the area to do wild salmon sea lice monitoring. And we've been doing that for the last mm, eight years, I think it is, and uh, we haven't seen any big loads on our fish or on the wild. We use very little antibiotics, and we keep them healthy, we have a healthy environment, and we follow strict fish health management plans. We rely on clean oceans and healthy oceans to grow the fish. So I think you're going to see a lot more um, research being done. Uh, we're participating in a lot of research, trying to understand what are the diseases in the ocean, um, what kind of things will impact our production, because it's a, big, it's a big world out there, and there's a lot of things that we don't know about the ocean. So much more to learn. Thank you so much, Laurie Jensen, Communications and Corporate Sustainability Manager for CIRMAC Canada, and as well, earlier on we were listening to Bonnie Glombach. She's the Campaigns Director over in Norway right now there with Claycourt Action. part of our show. Let's kick it off with Yes Air. I am Chemistry. I'm the Jackson from the Fox Glove Clan. I say it again I 
Hey, this is Fat Callie coming at you live from Tofino. <laughs> Welcome, Callie. How does it feel to be here live in Tough City Radio Studios? It feels great. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, just so everyone knows, we were just listening to Yay Sayer, I Am Chemistry. We had our aquaculture piece before that, and uh, I think you have some, some music you're going to share with us tonight, don't you? Yeah, I sure am. And uh, live guitar, I see the guitar. I, I think we're going to get it working right after this. I'm looking at black plastic bag, looking good. <laughs> well, it's raining outside. You got to yeah, protect against the rain, right? It was there was compromise. <laughs> that's that's how it is around yes. these parts, and yeah. uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear the beautiful strains coming out of that guitar quite soon. But we got one more song for you first. Stay with us. This next one, it's called. It's actually called Rat, uh, Rat Boy is the name of the artist, and it's called Move. <laughs> video as well it's kind of kind of interesting as, as many are these these days put a lot of effort into that you know um so we have actually right here live in studio as you heard earlier cali and butala originally from the northwest territories of all places and uh you know let's say a temporary native of toronto sadly will be heading back to toronto not very long What's going on there? Why, why are you ditching Tofino? Um, I'm ditching Tofino because I, I just, you know, I gotta go. I'm just gonna go record music in Toronto. And I have a band there that I was playing with for a couple of years. Girl rock band type thing. And uh, this is kind of like a typical thing that happens is that people. You know, they come to Tofino to hang out for a while, and there's a certain amount of inspiration that they find here. But you know, some people do feel like, you know, at some point, 
to expand their horizons, they have to go elsewhere. Was that a hard process to go through, that, that decision-making process? No, because I've already gone through that. Um, I, you know, like, I lived in the Northwest Territories my whole life, and I made the decision to go to Toronto. Well, I had lost my job at the Greyhound, the last Greyhound ever. Like, they discontinued the route to the Northwest Territories on the Greyhound, and I was the only Greyhound lady in the box in which I worked and lived in at, in the Northwest Territories. They discontinued the route, so I took the last bus ever out of the Northwest Territories, and I went to Toronto, because I knew that's where the music was. And you That's know, so dramatic, by uh, the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then I, I went there, and I lived there for a while, and I got got into the music scene and I I left and I went tree planting and then I went back to the Northwest Territories and I fueled airplanes and then I went back to Toronto and I was... I think you even connected with uh, the band uh, Down With Webster at one point, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I went, like I said, like I went to back to Toronto after all this and um, I went to school for audio engineering and one of my best friends, Lenny, he was the tour manager and uh, guitar tech for Down With Webster, as well as The Trues. Well, The Trues he was uh, guitar tech for, and um, um, uh, now he's working for Big Sugar and whatever. <laughs> he's uh, all over the map, and I did that for a while. And, you know, I, lo I love it. It was great. You know, my first show, my first, like, stage tech, stage roadie, whatever show was, like, Raptors halftime, and it was like total sh shit show, <laughs> and it was great. But um, I had to get back, you know, to nature and go. So I left Toronto after two years and went tree planting and ended up here just because it was like I heard I heard things about Tofino, you know. <laughs> so like these rumors about Tofino, did they turn out to be true? And were you expecting to stay as long as you did? Uh, I honestly had no expectations when I got here. Um, I, I kind of had in the back of my mind that I wanted to live here, but I didn't really, like, I, I went tree planting, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Toronto right after. But I also, also in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, but I might just go to Tofino. And because I met a, a kid, like, my first year tree planting who told me about Tofino, and it was flow and he was just like you know this was the place and i had never been to the ocean i had never been surfing i had never i've never been in the ocean i had i've seen like the arctic ocean but like to see an ocean that was you know you it was people went in <laughs> and swam in and like to swim in an ocean was just amazing that's that's uh i think a claim not many people can make that they have seen the Arctic Ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the odd person who flies to Russia or something, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, what do you got here for us today? Mm -hmm. You think you brought a little song in today, haven't you? I did, yeah. I, I just wrote it yesterday, actually, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's a kind of, it's a little bit iffy, I'm not going to lie. It's, but, you know, I just had to write a song about Tofino before I left. Right? What's it called? Uh, running on Tofino time. Running on Tofino time. I think everybody in Tofino could probably relate to it, I hope. I think we're all fucking running on Tofino time a little bit. Sorry, I don't know if I can say All right, so um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into the song. If you, if you want to give that a try, yeah. you know, to take a deep breath and, and see what comes out. I think this is going to be an amazing little track, it's a nice little farewell track for you to play. So uh, when you're ready, maybe give her a couple strums, and here's Callianne Butala. Enjoy. how it starts. <laughs> I think it's a good one. Actually, um, sorry about that. Just work some, work some things out here. 
There we go. Sweet. Kellyanne Butala. I hope you have a great time in Toronto. Thanks for coming in.
And uh, I'm going to play right next. I'm going to play a friend of mine has a band in Toronto. It's called Delta Will. Maybe you'll bump into him. Similar kind of stuff. Uh, just the song is called Manic Pulse. It just recently came out.
What was that song called, Callie? Uh, Scarlet Fever. When did you write that? Uh, I wrote that three days ago in the shower. <laughs> wow, and, and uh, what's it about? Um, I don't really like to tell what my songs are about, to be honest. <laughs> but That's right, that's, that's the enigma of it, right? Well, I think that any song that anybody writes is whatever words that are chosen to be put together into that song is it's your right to choose whatever you want to think of that song. It doesn't matter because like you put those words together for you, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily putting those words together for other people to comprehend. Like, <laughs> but wait, but wait, what's your favorite part about the song? My favorite part about that song is... Or at least that recording of that song. That particular, like, live recording of that particular song. Well, um, I like that song. Like, that's probably the second time me and, me and Chris uh, Dread jammed that song at all. So, you know, it was... I like it because it was completely raw. That was totally natural, whatever just that recording was. And, you know, that's it. Like that, and like it's one of those songs that is super simple, but like um, Chris totally understood how to like compliment it in a totally organic and fundamental kind of way. So that's great. Um, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. I'm glad we got that to work off your phone there. Uh, it's the first time I've been able to get that, that sort of element of technology. The aux cord worked into my broadcast, so thanks for the experimentation there. You're listening to Tough City Radio. All over the map at the end of the road. 90.1 FM. 